Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Dellingpole. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. But before I introduce him, a quick word from our sponsor. I love this product, NutraHealth 365. It's a small bespoke, bespoke supplement. Bespoke, that's a Freudian slip. A small bespoke supplement company that wants to make a real difference in the world, not just by helping to improve people's health, but also by supporting independent media producers just like me. Thanks. It's good to see small businesses joining in to fight the fight. We all know the critical role that vitamin D plays in fighting all kinds of infections, particularly the common cold or flu and viruses, if you believe in them. I'm not a doctor, thank goodness, but it's my inexpert and totally correct view that if everyone had taken vitamin D instead of those experimental unmentionables during the so-called pandemic, there would be a lot more people still with us today. You're a clued up audience, so it probably won't surprise you to learn that over 40% of the population in Britain do not have the correct amount of vitamin D in their bodies. And this rises to over 60% in those with darker skin. If you want to find out just how important vitamin D is, you should visit the website of NutraHealth365.com, which has copious evidence to show that vitamin D really is the miracle vitamin. Right now, NutraHealth 365 will give you free two-day tract delivery on all orders, and you get up to 20% off if you buy any three. If you were to buy each of the components individually from the high street, they would cost you up to five times as much. Their best-selling product is Immune X365, which is a high-strength vitamin D capsule which contains not just 4,000 IU of vitamin D3, but most importantly, it also contains high levels of zinc, quercetin, and critically, vitamin K2. Taking high levels of vitamin D without K2 is not recommended by the vast majority of health professionals. In fact, I have been taking Immune X365 myself, and not only am I not dead, but I have yet to catch any of the horrible colds that the rest of my family's got, because they haven't been taking it. Anyway, you only get one body, unless, of course, you believe in reincarnation. So, protect it with Immune X365. That's NutraHealth365.com for your Immune X365. Thank you. Well, welcome to the Delling Pod, Runa Ostgard. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, James. Nice to be with go on, go on. you. Say it correctly so that, so that people can hear how to pronounce your name correctly. Runa Ostgard. Ostgard. Yeah. So, so the thing is, I, um, I, I love the idea of, of, of the Scandinavian languages and your and and all those sort of weird tiny o's you've got on top and that change the pronunciation of the of the vowels but i ought to be able to to get a handle on this i i i studied um anglo-saxon uh at university one of the things and obviously there was there's there's been a nordic influence on the english language i mean some of some of our words we still share i Hmm. i i sometimes watch um, Netflix shows of in in Swedish and in Norwegian, and there are moments where you can just you can understand what people are saying without the translation. Mm. Definitely, and, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, um, we are going to talk today about your area of expertise, and I'm I'm really happy about this because a lot of my podcasts are really quite esoteric and down the rabbit hole. 
But I think that this is going to be one of those podcasts that that even in an even normie folk can listen to without going, what this is this is crazy. And you've been studying the history of inflation through the ages. And I don't know where to start. Um because it's a big subject, isn't it? Okay, I know where I'm going to start. I've noticed when I go to my supermarket how increasingly bloody expensive everything is. And I noticed that not only is the price of things going up, but for example, when you buy butter, uh, you used to buy it in packets of, I think, 250 grams. And now what they've started doing is selling it in 200 gram packets (laughs) And pretend, you know, to, to, it, it, to, they deceive the eye because you, because you, you, they don't say we have reduced our our, our, our package size, but that you, you, you think it's, you think it's still normal. So this is, this has been happening to us for millennia, hasn't it? This way of, 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 of sort of making us poorer through different forms of inflation. Yes, that's uh, absolutely correct, and uh, I have uh, managed to, to trace it down to at least back to the fifth uh, century before Christ. Right. Um, so we know that uh, this was a policy that started uh, in Athens, in the Greek city-state of Athens. They um, decided to introduce inflation as a policy uh, and as a means to, to finance their war against uh, Sparta. So the Spartan uh, Empire, you know, and they in the end, they, they lost the war. And uh, after they was besieged, uh, they were besieged uh, by the Spartans. And uh, that was the end of, of, of their dominance in, in that area. So the Spartans so, didn't have an inflationary policy, but the Athenians did. <laughs> they, they had a monetary policy, but... Uh, uh, my impression is that uh, the Spartans made sure that they didn't inflate uh, their money supply, and that's the whole uh, trick here, to keep uh, to keep the supply of, uh, of of money stable, in order to to avoid having price inflation. Do you think I'm just floating a theory here, which you may not be able to um, enlighten me on? Do you think that that the inflationary policy adopted by the Athenians um, was could explain the reason they lost, or was it just 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 a coincidence? Yes, I think uh, that might be one of the reasons because uh, it's sort of an artificial stimulus uh, when you when you use inflation to finance something. So it's very cheap money, you know. The way they did it, I could try to explain that a little bit as well. What they did probably was uh, to say to the people of Athens that you now how to use the mints, uh, the coins uh, that uh, our mint um, has has made. So you have to bring your silver to the mint, and uh, it will create new coins for you. And then uh, the mint uh, handed over coins uh, to those who, 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 yeah, their customers, uh, and the coins um, they had less silver in them in total compared to what the people gave uh, to the mint. So the, 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 the rulers of um, the city-state, they could keep some of the silver uh, for, for themselves and create more silver coins that they could spend to, to finance the war. Uh, what, what, what this means basically is that you can extract wealth from the population. So. Um, it's uh, an alternative to uh, extract wealth 
compared to, for instance, taxation, because taxes, they are very unpopular often. So they, they do the same by, by inflation and they, they do it so, sort of, uh, uh, in a, it's, it's not open, uh, yeah. what they yeah. do. It's a fraud, basically. Mm. And, um, when you do this, it's uh, easy to, to finance whatever ambitions you, you have as a ruler. And, uh, history quite clearly demonstrates that, uh, it goes to the heads of the rulers. They believe that they are invisible and they do many stupid things. Yeah. So it can be uh, that uh, it, it enabled them to fight a long war and to win some of the battles, but also it can be part of the explanation of uh, why they lost in the end. Yes. I was just thinking it, it, it's not quite inflation, but it's a, it's a similar thing that income tax in the uk was initially uh, launched as a temporary measure to finance the napoleonic wars which i I seem to recall ended quite a while ago but but income taxes has stayed so that so so they're finding all sorts of ways to rip us off do we know the name of the guy in Athens, because Athens is ancient Athens is held up to us as as a kind of exemplar of democracy and the beginning of Western civilization. Uh, and yet what you're saying is that it was also the beginning of the ruination of, of civilization. Do we know the name of the guy who introduced it? In, in the case of Athens, I don't yeah. think that we have uh, uh, too much evidence at all of what, what, uh, what was going on. As far as I understand, it has been written about this in uh, sort of... Uh, uh, a theater play or something like that. So I don't think we, we find many other sources than that. So we don't know many of the details, uh, but I haven't studied it in detail. What right. I have done, on the other hand, is to study in quite some detail how this uh, policy came about in Norway, which happened in uh, 1050 after oh, Christ. I like. I, I was reading your norway story in your, t- tell me the name of the book again you, you've written three haven't you but the, the, um tell me the tell me your book names yeah the first book about money is called uh, fraud coin and uh, the subtitle is uh, 1000 years with inflation as a policy yeah and, and what's, uh, what's the next one and the next one uh which we just recently yeah. uh, launched it's called uh, unbar u-n-b-a-r and what does that mean? To unbar something, which means to sort of remove, uh, uh, like uh, if you have the bars in a, in a prison, yeah. you remove the bars, uh, so you open up. And here it's uh, all about opening up your intellect, uh, enabling your brain to understand better what globalization is all about and how it relates to people people's belief systems and also the monetary system and it's quite a good I, I i read it this morning it's a, it's it's a very very quick um punchy read and it's quite a good way of showing people who most people are far as you as you know are far too trusting about the world and about particularly about authority they think that the authorities must somehow 
have our best interests at heart because otherwise, you know, we wouldn't allow them to do this stuff. I mean, surely there'd have to be a law against exploitation by by by, by greedy predators. So we, we 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 give them far too much credit. And what you explain very clearly is how money or rather fake money has been used by the ruling orders to make us poorer and to constantly exploit us while making them richer i love the viking story tell me tell me about tell me about the this this part of would it have been norway or or, or sweden this 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 part of this was what? in norway yes yeah the story about how inflation started as a policy in norway it actually began a little bit before uh, 1,000 years uh, after Christ, because at that time um, we had uh, some kings who, who tried to rule and dominate um, also my part of Norway, which is called Trøndelag. It's in the very middle of the middle part of Norway. And uh, my people, my ancestors, they didn't like kings at all. They they hated the kings, uh, actually, and wanted to be left alone. So it, it was kind of um, a, yeah, a natural elites who, who, um, who guided or ruled my region. And um, they had uh, an obligation to, to kill any king who tried to dominate them and to take their property, etc., without the consent of the people. So it was kind of a harsh obligation for, for, for every individual. But uh, in this way, uh, the, the, the trenders, as, as they were called, they were able to, to have what we call monetary freedom. And monetary freedom implies that you can use whatever money you like best. And we used uh, money from uh, all over the uh, world, at least, uh, at least from the parts of the world uh, that we traded with from the Arab countries and many European countries. And typically we used uh, silver and gold coins, which uh, had a high content of uh, silver and, uh, and gold, which wasn't debased and uh, which was uh, easily recognizable. So that was sort of uh, the, 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 the situation before the uh, introduction of the inflation policy. Okay, just tell me briefly, how could they tell whether whether the coins had been debased, uh, how could they tell that you had a high silver or gold content? Yes, when you, when you when you have metal coins, uh, and especially with silver and gold, it's uh, quite easy to test if um, if it's uh, proper silver and, and proper gold coins. At least back then, uh, your ability to to commit fraud by creating fake coins wasn't that it wasn't that easy at that time it's easier today with the the tools and the the metals we can do, uh, do you, make do use you of today. bite it or what i mean i mean it's, is it yes you could you could bite it and you could uh, of course uh, you heard the sound when you sort of uh, dropped a, a coin uh, on on a table uh, and let it spin around you can hear that this is the the, the proper uh, sound uh, or, the, or the the correct sound of a proper gold coin. So it. What, but are the things that you can mix with gold or silver to make them look like silver and gold, but but which aren't, or not really? Yes, you can. You can have um, 
you can create coins with uh, a core uh, which consists of it could be iron or it could be uh, typically copper and then uh, have a, a thin coat of silver on the, on the surface you know so it looks like uh, silver but it it won't give you the same uh, ring you know the same tone if you if you drop it on the floor or something like that so so mm. so people in those days i mean i can, i can imagine this would this would make sense that people were very attuned just everyone had this skill that just they could they could hear just by dropping a coin on a table what it what mm. its metallic qualities were mm. so because it was kind of much it was easier at that time to detect that something fishy was going on, you know. Yeah. Much easier then to understand also why prices increased when they sort of, if they were flooded with bad coins, they would see that the, the prices would go up because uh, the, the, the guy who sold bread, he, he saw that the, the, these coins, they aren't any good at all. I want uh, twice uh, as many coins as, as normal. So people understood this uh, intuitively. Uh, it's much more difficult today because uh, the the system has become more complex, and, uh, and we use digital currencies, and uh, yeah, mon- yeah, money are flowing in and out of our pockets at, at high, high speed. So we, we we don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I want I want to hear more about this particular period in Norwegian history because um, in your book you. There was a special word, wasn't wasn't there, for, for for this obligation to kill the king if he mis- misbehaved himself? What 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 was the phrase for that? The phrase for that was uh, the resistance provisions. So the Frostating law, that was our regional law, it has this provision which said that people are obliged, uh, not not just allowed, but people are obliged to kill the king. If he takes the property of someone in Trøndelag without the consent of the Frostating, that was the regional you sort of sort of a, yeah, not like a, a sort of council of elders or a sort of council, yeah, yeah. Of the landowners and the farmers uh, which had the power uh, in Trøndelag at that time. Right. And uh, if you if you weren't able to kill the king, you were then obliged to. Um, uh, chase him out of Norway, and the king would um, uh, never be allowed to come back again to Norway. Yeah, and this happened several times. Did it? With, yeah. But and, and as I understand it, there was a sort of a rule where um, they devised a method of of spreading the word as quickly as possible, so that that the king wouldn't have time to react or defend himself so that they could all get him how, how did that work so you had to get the message that uh, now the king has done something illegal and the way this was done was that they they cut uh, a wooden arrow we call it a war arrow in norway uh and in english i think the more used uh, more widely used term is a bidding stick and this Stick could be sort of planted uh, on the outside of your house and typically in the door. So when you came back from the fields, 
you saw that the, the bidding stick was uh, plugged into your door and you read the message there. It said that you have to meet at the local court place, uh, uh, the thing, you know, as, as we call it, um, and be ready for battle. And uh, you have to pass on this uh, war arrow to your neighbor as quickly as possible. And if, if the people didn't do this, uh, they could be punished um, having to pay a fine of 640 grams or something like that of silver. That was quite a harsh penalty. But the much much worse pen- penalty if, uh, was that if they didn't succeed in chasing away or or better, kill the king, they would probably lose their freedom. Yeah, he would come back and uh, and uh, kill them and uh, yeah, rule them, etc. So, so this was sort of uh, something which was in, integral. Integral in, uh, in uh, it was a sort of a basic understanding uh, with all the people of Trendelag. They understood that if I want to protect my freedom, I have the obligation to fight for. Uh, f- fight for this freedom. Yeah. I, I can't pay anybody else to, to 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 do this for me. It's my individual obligation. And this was um, kind of it, it created a um, a system that made it possible for them to have a, a whole lot of freedom, very low taxes, and uh, and uh, um, very few obligations to any state. It wasn't any state uh, basically. And um, it, they were probably quite prosperous people. Yes. So, and one of the freedoms, and this is very important, one of the freedoms that uh, this made them uh, have was the, the freedom to use whichever money they liked best. Hmm. I, do you know, I, I, you, you say it in a, in, a, in a very dry way, but I can, I, I, there, there's going to be people, Runa, listening to this going, yes. This freedom really, really matters. It matters so much that we've got to be prepared to take responsibility for it and fight for it. And you've given me the most perfect historical example. And I think you're about to tell me, because there aren't many Norwegian kings that we have heard of in in England, in in Britain. Uh, But the one whose name we do know is Harald Hardrada. The guy yes. that the guy that our King Harold Godwinson killed at the Battle of Stamford Bridge in 1066, which is probably the reason he lost the Battle of Hastings because he, ha- he then had to march with his army down from Exhausted. down from mm. Yorkshire to go and fight the Battle of Hastings. But anyway, Harold Hardrada appears in your story, doesn't he? Yes, and Harold Hardrada, he was uh, the half brother of uh, the King Olaf Haraldsson. Um, and he is called, uh, he's better known as Saint Olaf, uh, King Saint Olaf. And, um, he was one of the kings who was, uh, chased uh, away. They tried to kill him in 1028. Uh, they, he escaped to Sweden and to Russia and came back in 1030 together with, uh, Harald, uh, later named Hardrada. And uh, then uh, my ancestors uh, killed uh, Olaf, but uh, Harald, unfortunately, he escaped. Um, he was uh, hurt, but uh, he survived. 
and he went to to Constantinople. Uh, the, it was sort of the capital of the Eastern uh, Roman Empire, and there he learned learned the skill of um, debasing uh, money using yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So he came back in 1046. And uh, he became the sole king of Norway in uh, 1047. Um, and then he wanted to raise taxes also in my area, in Trendlag. And the people said no. Uh, the sort of uh, the leader, his, his name was Einar Tambarselva. He said to the farmers, you, you shouldn't support uh, or um, you shouldn't accommodate uh, the king's uh, request for higher, paying higher taxes. And then uh, in 1050, Harald managed to assassinate uh, Einar, uh, the, the leader of the farmers, and he also killed his son and then uh, set uh, out immediately afterwards to, to introduce uh, a monopoly in money creation. So that's that's how it started. Right. Okay. So your part of Norway, which I keep failing to be able to pronounce, uh, was that in a minority? The, the, were the other parts of Norway much more lie down and let them roll over us? I think at least until uh, the year 1000 or something like that, uh, my my region was the most powerful one. But I, I don't think that um, the people living in my region had uh, sort of ambitions to rule others. They didn't want to rule uh, their own people even, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they had freedom, but you can you can say that they, were, they didn't have much power, if you understand. But the kings, uh, they had a better foothold down south uh, around Oslo and uh, further south and to the west of, uh, of Norway uh, in the, yeah around Bergen, for instance, and uh, that area. So, um, but it was very difficult to handle uh, the, the people in my region. We were sort of unruly, <laughs> basically. I like your people, yeah. Runa. I, 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 Me too. I'm I, very proud of them. Yeah. I, I bet. I, I, I wish your spirit w would infuse us all today. So, okay. So we, we killed, we did you a favor by killing your Hardrada. Uh, at Stamford Bridge, but it obviously didn't do any good because <laughs> presumably his heirs took over and, and imposed this this debased coinage on you all? Yes, you know, this is almost like a virus because when the ruler learned to use this instrument, uh, it's so tempting to, to go on and on in, in yeah forever. And yeah. So Harald, he, he set out and debased his silver coins from about 90% of silver content and down towards almost 30%. So he could probably triple his fortune, you know, his wealth, and he could triple the money supply and probably most likely the prices uh, for everything in society tripled as well creating havoc uh, to 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 yeah to society and uh, crazy creating a lot of hardship for for my ancestors i would uh, believe and um but this went straight to his head so he decided that he wanted to rule england as well so that's why he he set out with uh, i think it was 200 uh, longboats approximately and almost um, yeah around 7 
six to nine thousand soldiers he took to England in in order to try to 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 conquer the, your great country and, uh, and the people there. So, but he didn't manage to do that. Unfortunately, the inflation policy continued after um, he died. Uh, his uh, son uh, Magnus he, he continued with it and. Uh, it has uh, gone um, been the same up to now, but in a sort of a different and more modern shape. And yeah, but it's the same policy. It's exactly the same. You you have argued that the end of the Vi- th- th- this debasement of the currency brought about the end of the Viking Age. Yes, I, I, I think that uh, most historians they agree that 1066, uh, the year of the battle uh, at uh, Stamford Bridge, it marks the end of uh, of the Viking Age. So this inflationist uh, king Harald Hardrada, he was the last Viking king. Uh, that's uh, sort of uh, agreed and settled. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that. Many others than me have said that uh, this was uh, something that happened because he overextended due to the uh, the the, the infl- inflation scheme. But I think that's very likely. That's uh, pretty much the same as uh, what happened with the Athenians uh, uh, in the fifth century before Christ. So it's quite likely. So that was one of the last gasps of of sound money because it sounds like. If if Hadrada nicked the idea from Constantinople, that must mean that it was already well established in the Eastern the Eastern Empire, the Eastern mm. Roman Empire. Um, that, that that this is how you this is how you screw the populace, and presu- and, and and presumably even in England, England that they'd learned this dirty trick as well, hadn't they? I would imagine. I think that you have already been using it for for quite a while, uh, and um, for, for, from what I know, uh, my area, my region here in Norway was the last part, uh, last place in the east. Uh, in, no, I'm sorry, in the western part of civilization, which uh, managed to preserve uh, this principle of monetary freedom. So, but it it's not the last. Uh, Time it has been uh, such a princi- principle in the western part of the world because it was uh, reintroduced later on uh, both in Netherlands and also in the U- United States. Few people are aware of this, but uh, that's uh, those stories are, are some of the most important parts uh, of uh, our history. I would uh, I would argue. So tell me about tell me about the Dutch. How did, how did they break free temporarily from the system, and wh- when was that? So the Dutch, they had been under the rule of the Habsburg uh, Empire for for centuries, and uh, they basically was sick and tired of uh, being ruled by them, and especially uh, due to the inflation policy that they they installed, and which was in place all all over Europe. So they they felt uh, abused, uh, uh, literally, and. Uh, they rebelled uh, against the empire, and in 1566, they um, um, started to break free from them. And one of the first things uh, that they decided was that it should be monetary freedom in uh, the Netherlands. What they also did was that they said, you can come to our mint 
and we will give you proper coins in a standard, uh, giving uh, your gold and silver a standardized shape. But we we won't uh, debase these coins. So if if people wanted, they could do this. And uh, actually, what they did was that they, the the people they liked that idea. They were able to use other coins as well, but they preferred to use the the, the Dutch Gilden. Because they trusted, um, yeah. they they trusted the central bank. <laughs> <laughs> they trusted the trusted the Bank of Amsterdam uh, and uh, and its mint. Yes, and this this was a golden age for the Dutch, the, the Dutch economy, wasn't it? Because I mean, That's it, correct. was that was that when you started getting the sort of the the Dutch outposts in in the in the Far East? You know, places like Java. Was that was that when they were a sort of a great maritime nation and and developing an empire. Yes, I think that uh, these rebels they forgot probably where they came from. So uh, when they had some success afterwards in uh, in Netherlands, they 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 sort of their gaze uh, were directed uh, outwards to other countries and and also to to. Yeah, the the colonies, and uh, I think they took over some of the Portuguese colonies, uh, and uh, so they they weren't, you know, when you have too much success, you you things happen with you. But they managed to to have a very sound monetary system in uh, the Netherlands for uh, yeah, I think about one hundred and fifty years or something like that, and then they fell for the temptation themselves to to start allowing the bank to. To issue more credit uh, than uh, they had in reserves, and then, uh, uh, yeah, sort of the inflation policy was more or less introduced uh, again, almost by stealth. So um, that was that spelt, spelt uh, the end of uh, of the golden age uh, of the Dutch. But I, I think I, I would like to add what actually happens when you sort of create um, an island in the middle of Europe. Uh, an island, so to speak, where all your neighbors, they are abusing their monetary system. And uh, the people and uh, yeah, even the rich people in, in those countries, uh, the other the neighboring countries, they see that their silver and, and gold, it's not uh, that much valuable in my country because I have a greedy king or an emperor. So I would lo- would rather like to to spend my uh, wealth and invest my wealth in, in a country where uh, I don't have this debasement uh, policy. So what happened was that uh, the Netherlands attracted a lot of investments from foreigners, and also uh, attracted a lot of talent from the other countries. So uh, that explains why they became so pro- prosperous and also uh, why uh, I would assume you have uh, they, they, they had so many great artists, you know, Rembrandt and the, all the others. So it goes hand in hand, sound money, you attract uh, investments, you attra- attract the best talents, the best people, the most industrious uh, and entrepreneurial people, and then you create wealth. And you create a good society for for the people. Well, thank you for explaining that because I think a lot of us have never really asked the question: why why is so much of the art one sees in in galleries around the world from the seventeenth century? 
you know, what, what gave us all these these Dutch interiors? What, why do we have Vermeer hmm. and, and and so on? What was it about the Netherlands that made them so successful? Because I certainly, I mean, maybe there have been books written about this, but I don't think that, that historians generally have made the connection between sound money and prosperity. That's correct. Uh, and uh, they are pro- probably um, uh, victims of the same um, sort as you and me, James, because when we went to school, uh, I spent 18 years in total in schools and in universities studying, learning all kinds of thing, but, uh, things, but never about money, never about the monetary system and how important it is for society. And in my uh, last book in Anbar, I quite rudely just spell out that a historian who doesn't understand money, he isn't an historian. He's not. Go no, on, name him. No. Name that he, man. No. And, and they can't be because they will, uh, um, unfortunately, not be able to understand, to interpret uh, what happened um, in in the, in the history of humankind after we became civilized and uh, started using money, because it's so fundamental, such a fundamental importance to how society develops and how it shapes politics, how it distributes power, how it affects freedom, etc. So, if you as an historian doesn't understand money and the monetary system, I'm sorry, then you are not an uh, historian. Um. You're being too polite, Runa. I'm going to I'm going to mention his name because it, it it's very interesting. This guy has had several international bestsellers, which, with respect, you're ne- never going to have. And it's not because you, what you're saying isn't true, or because your book isn't readable. It's because you are you are saying something that the the powers that be, the people who run the the, the publishing industry and the bookshops, really don't want getting massive publicity. We're talking about Yuval Harari, who is, uh, you know, a stalwart of the World Economic Forum. Uh, he's 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 massively behind disturbing things like transhumanism, and where he attracted your interest is writing. He's been pushing the line about money, which I think you've argued is a, a dishonest one or an inaccurate one. Let's say let's let's be polite. Yes. Um... I don't say that it's uh, dishonest. I don't say that he knows uh, how uh, this works with the inflation policy at all. Uh, I just say that uh, uh, because he doesn't uh, describe the different types of monetary systems with um, monetary freedom on the one hand, which is the very opposite of uh, creating a monopoly in the creation of money, a a monopoly in money production, which is basically the system that we have had for uh, quite a time, uh, quite some time now. When it doesn't describe uh, those two different uh, forms of uh, monetary systems, then he will be bound to make uh, bad calls, bad inter- uh, wrong interpretations of uh, what of, of our history and why policies uh, have uh, developed in certain ways and and why civilization has uh, developed in in a certain way. So well, let, let's continue our whistle-stop tour of, of um, monetary history and go to the United States in that brief period where they too had sound money. Was, was this 
after the War of Independence? I'm presuming it was. Yes, so the revolution ended in uh, 1783. And, you, you know, one of the most hated institutions uh, was the Bank of England. The, 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 the colony shop. The people, <laughs> the people in the colonies, they, they hated the Bank of England because they knew that it financed uh, the, the British crown's uh, warfare against them. And um, they weren't allowed to, to develop their own monetary system uh, in the United States. Uh, the, the British uh, said that they had to use uh, the British pound. Uh, and uh, when they sort of won their freedom in 1783, they were probably very much aware of how bad it is when you have a ruler who can create money at his will, you know, and force the people to use it. Because that's what they do. I haven't said that previously in this interview, but what they do is that they demand uh, that the people pay the taxes with the coins uh, coming out of the of the mint that the ruler um, owns. So, and in Norway, uh, when Harald Hardrada introduced this policy, he said that uh, people who don't accept my coins as payment from anybody, they can be punished by death. So this is uh, yeah, th this completes the picture of the of the policy. So after 1783 in the United States. They they didn't establish monetary freedom as a, a sort of legal principle, but they introduced um, monetary freedom as a de facto principle throughout the, the, the former colonies. So people were allowed to use whatever uh, coins uh, and paper bills they would like to use. And um, um, yeah, it... It was like that until 1857 when they introduced a law which uh, outlawed uh, uh, foreign coins as what you call legal tender. So, right. So, um, mm -hmm. Yes, didn't they use things like Maria Theresa Thalers and things like that? Is that am I making that up? It, it might be. I haven't heard about that, but you might be correct. But they especially like the Spanish silver dollar. Right. Yeah, that was probably the most popular uh, forms of money uh, until the Coinage Act of 1857, uh, I would assume. And I, I would just hazard a guess that in that period, the American economy flourished and people became genuine, everyone became more prosperous. Definitely, definitely. And this is also something which is not widely known. You know, people, people think that, uh, yeah, uh, the reason why um, we saw so much wealth creation in the United States in the 19th century was because uh, they took all the land which formerly belonged to the to the natives, you know, and uh, things like that. While uh, the extremely important principle of monetary freedom is uh, sort of. Yeah, it's forgotten. But I'm sure, I'm quite sure that they knew at that time how important it was uh, for, for the society and uh, yeah, the possibility of um, yeah, keeping the, the freedom. That's the most important thing. And also for, for, for attracting capital and talent from, from other countries. And I, I can also mention that in Norway in uh, the year um, 1800, 
we were we had a population of nine hundred thousand nine hundred thousand Norwegians, and in the period between eighteen thirty thirty six and nineteen I think it's nineteen fifteen seven hundred and fifty thousand Norwegian fled Norwegians uh, fled to the United States and to Canada. So it's it was. It was a total meltdown in uh, many of the European countries in terms in terms of losing so many skilled people, you know, losing so much talent. They they went uh, to the country where um, the freedom was the greatest, and uh, I think what what contributed to that was the monetary freedom. Funny yeah. that, isn't it? it, it if if they're given the chance. People will gravitate towards freedom and sound money. Yeah, it's strange thing. It's, huh? it's funny, isn't it? And do you think it's any? I mean, this is a, this is a bit of a kind of leading question, but but <laughs> do, do you think um, that it's any coincidence that within ten years of the uh, America abandoning sound money, they'd entered the civil war? Hmm. Oh, I haven't thought much about that, but I think <laughs> once you start to infringe on the principle of monetary freedom, people get more and more tempted, you know. They, probably those who have the most power, they start to think, what if I can uh, create my monopoly in the production of money? and Look at how enormously rich the rulers became in the European countries, yeah. uh, and how much power they got. So, uh, once you start to sort of uh, start to walk down that path, I think it's almost in- inevitable that you will have uh, a lot of uh, unrest, and uh, also it can very much end with a civil civil war. Yeah. So, but uh, of course, this this is just it sounds like I am explaining everything, both the wars with uh, with uh, the inflation policy and also the, the prosperity with monetary freedom. You have many other aspects, many other details, uh, which of course are very important for how so- uh, society civilization develops. But this is sort of the foundational uh, feature, I would say. The monetary system. What we saw, um, I mean, presumably it was a problem even in the early days of, 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 of the United States, but what we saw in the latter part of the 19th century in the US was the spectacular accumulation of wealth by a, a, a few individuals, the robber barons, uh, hmm. who were also involved in the creation on the, when they had their, their secret meeting on Jekyll Island, uh, when they created the, F- the Federal Reserve in 1913. Mm. So tell me a bit about about what what because obviously things were things started going bad in 1857, but they presumably got an order of magnitude worse from 1913 onwards. Yes, that's correct. But it had already started towards the end of the 19th uh, century. So if you if you compare for for instance the the, the enormous supply of additional money uh, additional US dollars in the, the, the past uh, I would say 
yeah, 15 years or something like that since the great financial crisis in 2008. It has been a massive influx of uh, new US dollars in, in, in the society and throughout the world. You know, this is the, 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 the what they call the reserve currency. So the US dollars is just uh, exported to, to the rest of the world. So but what, if you compare it with, um, I think it was between 1880 and 1895, they had the exact same um, uh, magnitude of money creation. So the banks had started to issue a lot of credit, and those who could uh, make best use of that was probably the richest people, the most uh, wealthy, you know, those who you refer to as the robber parents. Vanderbilt, and uh, if, when you can borrow cheaply, it's the same thing uh, today. You borrow very cheaply from the bank. You, know, you get the lowest interest. Uh, then you try to borrow as much money as you can get hold of. Then you start uh, buying up things. You, you buy up other competing companies. You know, you buy land. You buy. Uh, you hire skilled uh, laborers, uh, etc. And uh, gradually, you you sort of secure a greater and greater share of the total wealth um, and uh, assets in society. So that's uh, probably what happened uh, towards the end of the 19th century in the United States. Yes. At, at this point, maybe we can mention the, is it pronounced Cantillon or Cantillon? I, I, I don't know what it is. It was Irish-French, so I uh, think it is, it's probably Cantillon. Yeah, Cantillon. Okay, so the Cantillon effect, uh, you can correct me, but as I understand it, the people who have the earliest access to the money uh, get 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 ahead because they know that the value of the money is going to diminish. So if they can borrow it earlier from the source, that means they can buy up stuff before the ordinary people get hold of it. And they really don't get a look in. Is that maybe you can put it better than me? Yeah, just to get hold of a lot more money than everybody else means that you get you get immediate access to to more of the society's wealth. You know, you can buy up land, etc., and uh, uh, get to control a whole lot more of uh, yeah everything in society just so, by having the access. And uh, it, it can almost be compared to. If you are um, uh, of the clever type who, who, who managed to create a, a machine that can create uh, US dollar bills or something like that, you know, uh, paper bills and uh, in, in your basement, and then if you go out and, and uh, start spending that money, for instance, you have a Lamborghini dealer in your uh, neighborhood, so you go down to to your car dealer and you say, I, I have some money here. I won, I won in the lottery. I, I, I need to buy a new car. So you buy a car, you pay perhaps uh, 200,000 pounds for that car. And he gets one extra sale because of uh, the money that you have created. And you get uh, one extra Lamborghini. Um, because you had created this money. So both of you benefit. Uh, you were the first user of the money, and he is then the second holder of the newly created money. And then, um, so the car dealer, that's a, a 
a corporation, you know, and they they pay a bonus to the to the salesperson who sold you this car. So he gets hold of uh, his uh, sort of third in line here, then, and then he can go out and buy stuff for his family. You know, he can buy um, yeah, a trip to Spain or something like that and spend uh, his Christmas holiday there with his family. You know, he can buy uh, a property in Southampton or something like that if that's what uh, he, he wants to do with this and he, sort of he, he he brings new money uh, with him which uh, represent uh, an additional uh, demand for all the goods in society you know and uh, once this start to seep into this newly created money start to seep into the economy the prices start to to, to rise because it, it represents an additional demand. The supply was the same, but this is additional demand, your new money. So over time, the, 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 the prices will increase. And, you know, it's not many people who, who get hold of your fraudulent uh, US pound bills, you know. Uh, it's just a few who do that. But all, all the others, they, they will have to pay the increased prices. Yes. And that's the Cantillo effect. And tell me, uh, a dollar in 1913 is worth what now in real terms? Uh, in 1913, I think we have had a price increase measured in terms of um, uh, consumer prices, which isn't a very good measure at all but okay. i think that the prices have uh, increased uh, over that period around 35 times so they are 35 times higher today than they were then so just about so in norway they have increased by 65 uh, so it's it's and, twice as much but you say that that's not the, the consumer prices is n- is not a, a real uh, 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 the best gauge. What's the best gauge? The best gauge is the additional money that you create. So if you if you look at the twenty last years, uh, or two thousand and two to twenty twenty two, both in Norway and in the United States, it has been on average about seven percent additional uh, new Norwegian kroner and new U.S. dollars. Um, inserted into the economy by the means of uh, credit uh, expansion. So that means that every year everything is is going up, the cost of living is going up 7%. It means that the value of your money compared to a situation where they didn't expand uh, the the production of money uh, diminishes at about 7% per year. Painful. Yeah. And the, the consumer prices, you know, they are sort of measured by a governmental uh, institution in, um, I don't remember what it's called in the UK, but it's in Norway, it's uh, Statistics Norway, which is a government agency. Yeah. And they, they sort of keep track of uh, how much do the consumer prices increase every year. But they... They do a whole lot of uh, trickery with this uh, statistics. Uh, basically, what they do is that they say that we have this basket of uh, goods and services, 
which are typically consumer goods and consumer services. And then they say that we have this much bread and uh, this many uh, uh, jeans, for instance, and uh, you have a part of a car here, you have a... Uh, you have your Netflix uh, bills, you have your electricity bills, etc. So they 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 um, put this together and have a certain amount of all these typical um, consumer items, you might call it. Yes. But but what happens is that you have some something which is called change in people's taste. So we don't buy the same thing today as we did. 50 years ago, yeah. for instance. And also we have quality improvements, etc. So your car is safer, it's more luxurious today than compared to a standard car 20 years ago. So they say. What, so they say, yes. Yeah. But what they do, at least, is that they change the content of the basket that they measure the uh, consumer prices with. And this gives them a whole lot of flexibility in terms of picking new things and adding it to the basket and making it look like prices don't increase that much. Yeah. So it doesn't ref- reflect what you and, you and I experience when we go to the, uh, to the grocery store and uh, see, see how much the, the prices have uh, increased. So your take on this would be presumably that this is what ruling elites have done since at least um, 5th century BC, mm. Athens, um, and, that, and that it spread like a virus around the world. And apart from a few brief moments of resistance, um, we've been pretty much powerless in the face of this kind of raping of our, of our money uh, and debasing of it and stuff. Um, who's who's behind all this now? Who who are the who is big evil? Is is it the um, the Bank of International Settlements and the people that that works for, or what? I would say that uh, at least uh, the last one hundred years, or since uh, the Federal Reserve was created, and yeah, at least after the first world war, world war ended in 1919 it has been a sort of uh, the federal reserve american bankers uh, the most wealthy people in the, um, in the us and also some of them in the United, in europe who has uh, they have been pretty much in control of this and so, these are these are i think a lot of people are misled by the name federal reserve into thinking, well, federal, it must have something to do with the government. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, part of, it's part of the system. But it's not. It's a private bank owned by very rich individuals who, who, who control the money supply. Isn't that right? Yes, people tend to focus a lot on, on that question. Uh, yeah, in, they say in the United States it's privately owned, but luckily in Norway, for instance, it's owned by the central bank is owned by the, the, the government. But it doesn't make any difference at all. That's my understanding, at least, uh, having studies, studied this uh, subject for, for, for years and years. So it doesn't matter. It, the main thing is that uh, the central bank, it coordinates the, all the other the private banks. 
coordinator the the interest rate that they um, offer to the customers uh, when they when they get uh, when they want to to borrow money from the banks. So by doing that, it sort of it uh, it coordinates a cartel of uh, of private banks uh, and, and enable them to to slowly or or, or or quickly increase or reduce the money supply um, in a in a coordinated manner. So that's the main thing. And so the main main thing is uh, is that uh, to to for instance own a bank who is the first sort of beneficiary of, of the newly created money. It creates new money when it issues a loan to a customer. So it can it requires that the customer pay interest on, on money created out, out on nothing, basically. So the banks are the first uh, ones who, who, are, who have the benefits today. So it's much, it's much more important to be sort of being able to, 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 to lend out money to someone and also to be the, the the big borrowers to to own the companies, the corporations who can borrow the most money. That's the the, the main thing. Uh, whether the central bank is privately owned or or owned by the the, the state, it doesn't matter that much. Right, right. Now I know that you are positive about Bitcoin as a way out of this mess because the the, the Bitcoin is. Presumably, there's no backdoor built into the system by the CIA, say, which is a, which is a, which is quite a big if. But presuming that Satoshi is not a is you know not a deep state operative, there is a limited supply of, of Bitcoin that will ever be produced. Uh, and I get yeah. that, and I you know I like I like the principle of crypto. But my question to you is the. The, our governments and the people who control our governments do not have our best interests at heart. You know, they're all they're all Harold Hard they're all Harold Hardradas in their way. Are they not going to arrange it whereby we are forced to use their own central bank digital currencies? For example, they might say, "Well, you can only pay taxes in 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 CBDCs. You can't use Bitcoin or whatever." Yeah, aren't they going to make damn sure that? that any benefits from Bitcoin, we don't get to see them. They might try, but it's very difficult for them to do this. And uh, uh, if they, for instance, uh, say that uh, no people in uh, the United States uh, are allowed to own or use uh, Bitcoin, what will happen then is that, uh, first of all, a lot of the Bitcoin will flow into other countries. For instance, to Norway and to the uh, United Kingdom and to many other other countries. And um, when that happens, um, uh, the same thing will happen uh, as uh, it did with uh, when the Netherlands introduced monetary freedom and also when the United States did that uh, after the revolution. A lot of capital and talent and yeah, masses of people will move to those parts of, uh, of the world where you most freely can use uh, and, and own uh, Bitcoin. So it's sort of, uh, it's a, sort of chasing uh, capital and people out of your country if you, if you ban people from owning and using Bitcoin. Except. So they will. Sorry. But, but what they will do uh, is that they will 
they will try to squeeze as uh, much Bitcoin out of the private sector of the of, of the people as possible and try to control it themselves. So the state wants to control it and the most wealthy people will try to get hold of as much Bitcoin as possible. And uh, that's the, the whole, uh, that's the big game uh, going on these days, uh, using regulations, using threats, uh, all kinds of things uh, to, 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 to convince people to, to just sell their Bitcoin. Uh-huh. Uh, I get that's that. That's the game. But you can't, you can't probably, um, you can never say never, of course, but it's very difficult to just uh, crush uh, Bitcoin as a technology and uh as a form of money, uh, totally, it will it will be present on on Earth uh, uh, always, most likely. And w- just to add one more thing, and this is very important. You say that uh, uh, Bitcoin. Um, we know that it is a fixed amount of Bitcoin that will ever be created. It's important to understand why Bitcoin is created at all. Because it's a sort of an issuing schedule. In the beginning, in 2009, uh, they issued a lot of Bitcoin as payment to those who protected the network and the transactions using the network, the Bitcoin transactions. Those are called the miners. Miners, it sounds, sounds like they are digging Bitcoin out of the ground, you know which they are not, they are spending a lot of money and, and capital on protecting the network by use, using huge amount of electricity and also cryptographic uh, hashing, as they call it. So this keeps the, the network very safe. And they receive Bitcoin as payment. And the schedule is uh, designed in such a way that they are paid less and less Bitcoin, nominally, nominally speaking until the year 2140 when the last bitcoin will be earned by a miner uh, miner so what we have here is is we have a fixed inflation schedule in terms of the money supply the supply of bitcoin and it goes down and down and down towards zero and the idea then is that uh, this is money which we will see the value of it will increase over time. So you can say that Bitcoin is money that has been programmed to increase over time. So that is what what you have to consider. And just one final thing. The money we are using today, whether it is the British pound or Norwegian kroner, US dollars, those type of money is the very opposite. Yes, it's programmed to lose their value over time. Yeah, and it's on that basis you have to make your own uh, judgment. Yeah, should I start to use and own Bitcoin, uh, or should I start to uh, continue just to to use the the the, the shitty national currency that uh, I'm part of? Today? I I I like your um, evangelism. Go away! Oh, no, don't. Oh. How do I turn this off? I do hate people who just call me randomly. Um, <laughs> um, yes, I share some of your optimism for the potential of, of Bitcoin, and I appreciate all the principles that you've outlined. 
But I'm alive to the fact that the people who run the world are essentially working for the devil. Um, and <laughs> they will use every devious method they can to, I mean, you saw what happened in the 1930s when, when FDR made private holding of gold illegal, which up to that point must have been considered just beyond the realms of, of, of government. You know, the, the, the talk about abuse of power. How could, how could, in the land of the free, how could any government confiscate your actual gold coins? And, and the idea that people, when they went into their vaults in their, in their banks, there were, there were metal detectors to make sure they weren't walking out with their gold coins in their pockets. That was in the 1930s, since when, thanks to people like the Rockefellers, who've been massively behind one world government, we now have de facto one world government. I mean, you know, El Salvador, lovely, plucky, free market El Salvador has, has adopted Bitcoin. But I don't think that, that the, the United States, which completely runs South America in one way or another, uh, I don't think the U.S. is going to allow the the El Salvador to become the 16th century Netherlands of of, of South America. It ain't going to be allowed to happen. And <laughs> I don't see I don't see President Xi in China or or Putin. It, it seems to me on some on some level they're all part of the globalist agenda, whether they hmm. whether they admit it or not. Do you not think that it's going to become impossible for individual states to have any kind of freedom or autonomy? Um, I don't see how it's going to work. Well, I think the, the situation today is very dynamic. So Good. this can very well uh, be the development that we see in the future that more and more countries will uh, embrace Bitcoin and it's already happening today. So it's only El Salvador who has introduced Bitcoin as, uh, or said that Bitcoin is legal tender in addition to the US dollars in, in uh, you can pay taxes with US dollars in El Salvador. Um, it will most, most likely happen in many other countries. And you know, this is a matter of, um, it's a question also of speed in terms of how fast can you move your wealth? And how fast can you um, move yourself? Because just imagine uh, in the 18th, no, the 19th century, in 1845, for instance, the people who went from Norway fled to the United States. They spent more than two weeks in a ship in order to get there. Still, 900,000 people. T took that trip. It meant that much to them, you know. Yes. yes. And today, um, for instance, if you want to go to El Salvador, it will take you about, I think, 16, 17 hours on a plane. Or to Argentina, 14 hours from the United, uh, from, from London and to Buenos Aires, 14 hours in a plane. And then you are there, you are settled. And the new president, you know, Javier Milei, he wants to uh, he he wants to have monetary freedom in his country first by adopting 
the US dollars as a legal tender and then later on introducing monetary freedom. So I think people need to understand how fast we can move these days. And if you compare gold, for instance, gold is quite tricky to get out of the country for for most uh, people in the United States. It wasn't an alternative in 1933 to try to to move their gold holdings, get them from the United States to, to Switzerland or something like that. So, but what about Bitcoin? It can be shipped out of the country using the internet in a matter of seconds. If you want to send large amounts, you will probably use uh, the safest um, method and that's uh, to use the core uh, network. Uh, and then it will take about 10 to 60 minutes. And then you can ship out of the country uh, Bitcoin worth uh, billions of dollars, you know. Yeah. So it's so much easier today to move both people and, uh, and capital than it was at that time. And it will happen. Do you not think it's surely not beyond the realms of possibility that the powers that be are going to develop or perhaps already have developed ways of stopping people moving Bitcoin around? I think they are on their heels now because this moves so quickly and I haven't seen that they have introduced regulation and uh, and uh, institutions etc which uh, can stop this in an effective way it will take time for them to develop that uh, what they try to do is is to sort of mm, stem the tide or whatever you call it i don't uh, really know but, but but try to make people start using central bank digital currencies mm. instead and try to get people used to that idea instead of investing in Bitcoin. So that's sort of the, the they try to create a, a competitor which they will uh, make people use voluntary, uh, you know, voluntarily or, or, or by coercion if, if that's necessary. But it's very difficult to do that. It's extremely difficult to do that uh, because, you know, the the reason why people try to ex- escape out of uh, currencies which are bad for them to to earn and uh, save in, which the United States dollar and the Norwegian krona and British pound is uh, examples uh, of, and even more so in, for instance, uh, in Argentina where the inflation is even a lot higher. So it's, it's, it's so difficult to, 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 to sort of build something on top of that shitty system and tell people that we have this central bank digital currencies now. Mm. It's the same as before, but it's, it's faster. So that's, that makes it better. Yeah. You know, it's it's very difficult um, because uh, people will hear that uh, the CBDCs can be used to control them, to track their uh, uh, movements, etc., and uh, be combined with the digital ID, uh, vaccine passports, etc. And uh, quite many people will be hesitant, and uh, they won't uh, 
accept this as a their form of a new new form of money. I'm quite con- convinced about that. Well, I I would love to share your optimism about the human spirit, and I totally get what you're saying. Um, but you've probably noticed that in 2020 and 2021, the governments of the world conducted an, an experiment to test us. And maybe 5% of us um, were resistant to this experiment. 90% of the people complied. You, I mean, I don't know whether you had the similar thing in Norway, but you had people putting on these face nappies. Um, and, we had the same thing. Yes. And we had rules like, for example, if you went and sat in a restaurant, you, you could take your mask off as long as you were sitting down but if you stood up, um, you, you had to put a mask on because somehow the, the germs or whatever it was that was causing this mystery disease just, just stopped working at a certain height. Or, and, and instead of going, WTF, well, <laughs> I'm not buying this, this, this bullshit, people not only went along with it, but assiduously policed i mean they, they did the job of the of the state for them but by mm. by enforcing these regulations which made no sense and in the same on the same principle people accepted that they the thing that they, that had hitherto been part of their the, the the most enjoyable aspects of their life um that they were allowed to travel where they wanted in the world fly anywhere in the world mm. suddenly they completely accepted that they couldn't they couldn't leave their country that 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 for, for for the reasons that the government told them that they couldn't fly, uh, and it would be very easy for for my government and your government to shut the airports down because there doesn't seem to be that much resistance to it, and stop us uh, shut down the borders because they've already tried it once and and got away with it. So how would you? Would it? Would it? I think uh, people people realize how costly it was now. In terms, in terms of not only the economic cost, but also the cost to society, and um, even uh, the mainstream media now uh, start to cover more and more news about uh, the harm that the vaccines uh, cost. Quite reluctant, more and more. I'd say, the, I'm sorry, is, is is that happening in Norway? I'm I'm not finding yes. it. Just, just the odd story creeping here and there it's, about particular particular manufacturers. Yeah. Like we're told AstraZeneca but, was bad, but we're not told that Pfizer was bad. Yeah, it's not much, but I see that the, the tendency is there. It was nothing, and then it was some of it here and there, mm-hmm. and now it's more often that we see it. And uh, I think that's a reflection of uh, the people talking. You and I, we are talking here now on this podcast, and I talk to my family about this. We talk about this uh, experience with those two years of lockdown uh, with our friends and uh, people at the uh, office, uh, you know, at uh, where we work, and other other people we don't know. Uh, also, we talk about how crazy it was, you know. So I think if if it's correct that, for instance, five percent was against this and uh, sort of fought against. Uh, those uh, regulations etc when that happened I, I think that if something of the same would happen today at least twice as many people would fight against it that's my that's my um, <laughs> amateur estimate and then the question is 
how many people do you need in order to fight measures like that? Do you need to convince half of the population? You know, we have a democracy, everything is ruled by uh, the majority, etc. Or is it enough to to have a dedicated uh, minority of some uh, some size? And how many people do we need to be? So I'm I'm quite optimistic. Um, I think that uh, those who now realize that they were correct when they fought against it, they now feel a little bit empowered because they see that uh, more and more of uh, the others who didn't fight it, they agree with them. So I think it's more difficult, much more difficult to do something of the same today than it was in 2020. Except, Runa, I'm looking at you and I'm looking at me and I'm thinking we're part of the resistance, but we're not exactly built like Harold Hardrada, are we? <laughs> I mean, all those, all those Norway, all your ancestors who were, who were fighting against tyranny and, and mm. recognized their obligation to go and kill the king as soon as yeah. he got out of order. That's the, that, that physical prowess and sense of direct understanding of what needs to be done seems to be lacking these days i mean it's been it's been bred out of us apart from anything else we've we've been okay. estrogened and we've been we've we, we, we've we've had generations of, of female teachers so that we there are no, no male role models and, and we've had this the transgender thing they, they every which way they they found ways of making us weak haven't they Yes, they did. But I think it's very easy to fall for the temptation and generalize about uh, them and about us. And um, there, I think that good ideas, for instance, the idea that uh, it's worth fighting for your freedom, it can be very infectious. Hmm. It's a benevolent virus, you can say if you understand the idea. And for instance, uh, when I explain the monetary system and monetary policy, the inflation policy, in such simple words as I make use of in my book and also when I discuss this in podcast, it makes uh, so many more people understand what uh, this is all about. And um, it's hard for them to find uh, counter-arguments because it's so simple. It's very simple to understand it. So that's one thing. The knowledge, or more I like to speak of the understanding of it, more on knowing, more than knowing all the facts uh, about it. It's more important to understand what, what this is all about, to feel it more, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to understand the story, you know. That's most important. Um, and to understand what kind of values that our ancestors had not very long ago. Yeah. And understand that this is part of us also today. We just have to wake up to, to the fact and, and uh, remember what it was like yes. uh, back then. I, I totally agree with you. And I think this is one of the very, very rare points where we might agree with Yuval Harari, I think he said something about how humans like to tell stories. 
Hmm. Uh, although his interpretation of that was that you know money is a fiction and that blah blah blah. We won't get, we won't mention him again. But I think we we are we are um, creatures of, of 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 narratives. We you know we've got Beowulf. You've got the what 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 are the what are all the Icelandic sagas called? Uh, uh, the Icelandic sagas, I can't remember. What's what's the Norwegian equivalent? What are you? What, what's your, what's your great early literature called? The early liter- literature, mm. the oldest ones, there, there are the royal sagas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so we've all got these. The, we've got we've got the Bible. We've got the got the Gilgamesh. Yeah. We, the, it's how we make sense of our world by telling stories. And I I really like the fact. I was I was slightly worried. I, I was thinking, okay, so he's an expert on inflation. How is he going to make this arid subject? Um, how is he going to make it exciting or interesting? But I I really think there is something very emotionally involving about the that 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 period of norwegian history that you've you've described and i love the idea of what are they called the the the, the council of the elders the for for what's the word frostating frostating oh that's frostating yeah what does that mean in english well frosta is a is a place some 50 kilometers south over here it's called frosta and ting is the same as a court Frostating, mm. yeah, and yeah, and, nice. and the obligation, not not just a kind of an option, but the absolute obligation to kill the king if he starts <laughs> over overreaching, is extraordinary. It's, like, it's extraordinary, and um, just to add one more thing, uh, I, I'm I'm often talking about sharing ideas and the power of sharing ideas and the understanding of the importance of the monetary system and our history. Um, But the exciting thing is that, um, you know, the monetary system is probably the most powerful of all social networks. It's much more powerful than uh, Facebook than X Twitter, you know, it's much more powerful than the internet, even I would say. Yeah, and um, it sort of it uh, helps us not only to distribute and exchange value, you might say, and offering us a means of exchange, but it also conveys knowledge. Uh, for instance, if you have a totally unsound monetary system which we have all over the world almost all over the world today with the traditional national currencies it's very unsound and people can feel it they don't just realize how it works Uh, very few do uh, at this moment but when you start to add into the system sound money for instance bitcoin which has grown faster than any other f- asset in human history. Yeah. And people, so if you, if you receive, for instance, on your birthday, uh, a Bitcoin or something like that. That'd be a nice Bitcoin present. Or something, that would be a nice present. It, it doesn't only uh, transfer wealth from the one who gives it to you and to you, but it also becomes a topic that you have to discuss 
why did he do this? Why did he give you Bitcoin instead of British pound or anything mm. else? And you, you have to re- reflect on it for a moment. Why he, he's doing this? You ask questions. Uh, you, you see, so it's almost like adding uh, medicine to a completely sick system. And um, it makes people talk. It makes uh, people start to reflect on this. So it's an enormously powerful uh, social network in, in many aspects. So the monetary system helps distribute knowledge and ideas uh, very, very fast. And that's what the Bitcoin community has taken such a um, huge advantage of. They have managed to, to, to teach people all over the world about the importance of the monetary system and the function of money and especially sound money versus unsound money. So I think this might actually develop much faster than uh, you, uh, you, you, you believe, James, and most other people believe as well. So I'm, I think I'm allowed to be optimistic, and I've, I've wow. got good reason to, to be optimistic. We just have to make a use, good use of these opportunities. Uh, before we go, Rune, I've got to ask you, tell me a bit about yourself. What, what, what's your, your story? Okay, so... My background is as a lawyer, so I have a small town uh, law practice here in Stenskjer in the middle of Norway. And I've also been working three years in the European Commission in Brussels. That was a very mixed uh, experience. I'll bet. But while I was there, I uh, started reading uh, Austrian economics, um, studying the monetary system, etc., so it gave me uh, sort of a whole new uh, understanding of uh, society and, uh, yeah. So you must have felt a bit lonely background. while you were working for the European Commission. I can't imagine there were many fellow travellers. Not at all. And uh, I was totally, I was very lonesome until around uh, 2010, uh, intellectually uh, speaking. And uh, I didn't have anybody to talk to about uh, uh, yeah, sound monetary system, uh, etc. So I just gave up on the project and uh, yeah, abandoned the uh, reading and didn't pay attention to news and politics for almost 10 years until the pandemic hit us all in, in 2020. Or, or, or what, they said, what they tell us was a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I, I see. And how many, what's, what's it like in Norway? I mean, in terms of how many awake people are there, there as a percentage? Uh, it's uh, difficult to make that uh, estimate, but what I'm noticing is that it, uh, it it's growing immensely fast. Is it? Yeah, because, you know, Norway has been uh, one of the countries where people trust the governments the most. Uh, and it's uh, rapidly deteriorating. Deteriorating, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also thanks to to the downfall of the Norwegian krone, it's, it has performed uh, worse than almost any other uh, national currencies throughout the world the last year. So people wake up, they're pissed, uh, they're mad, and uh, many intellectuals are waking up. I think uh, many people with res- resources uh, are protesting uh, on many levels uh, against many types of policies. So it's uh, people are definitely waking up. That's also w- one of the reasons why why I uh, am perhaps a little bit more optimistic than you, James. 
Well, that's good. No, I'm, I'm really glad to hear this. I'm, I'm always looking for causes for optimism because I don't see much around at the moment. But so how does this manifest itself? It's just the, the conversations down in the sauna or, or, or whatever, or, or what, where, where do, how do you detect these signs? Okay, so in 2020, when I woke up, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about what existed in Norway in terms of people being awake and interested in these issues. Because in 2010, in 2010, there was nobody for me to talk to. Yeah. And when I released uh, Fraudcoin, my book about inflation in uh, October 2022, people came to me, you know. The Bitcoiners came to me and uh, many of the people skeptical to big government, they came to me. And I've been so immensely sort of embraced by, by so many people, uh, both uh, in Norway and also outside of Norway. So people get in touch with me and tell me their story and they show me, show me their communities and they invite me to their conferences and uh, it's it's a definitely a, a growing movement uh, i would say definitely that's yeah. that's really good to hear and it sounds like it's been good for you as well because you know it's much better to find a community of like-minded folk <laughs> than be all your own and thinking there's no point yeah definitely and uh, um, last sunday i i had a, a long uh, podcast recording uh, down at the frosta thing uh, oh yeah down at the assembly, and uh, actually, when uh, he made me reflect on uh, on on these things, how lonely I was just uh, thirteen years ago, and uh, and uh, sort of the community that uh, I've been uh, become a part of now, I, I basically I started to cry, so I couldn't oh. talk for uh, a minute or something like that, and. Uh, yeah, I have mixed feelings with that. It was sort of a Jordan Peters moment. No, 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 say don't that. say that. It's not. It's, it's legitimate. It's, it's absolutely. So, I, I'm, I'm very yeah. touched with that story. No one's looking at you and going, you are Jordan Peterson. Don't worry. Although I have to ask, <laughs> I have to ask you a final rude question. Are you recording this in your bathroom? Is that, is that, is you've got tiles at the back? Yes, this tiles are very rare, actually. It's a, um, a company which uh, a local company had, they started producing it some years ago and then they went bankrupt before almost anybody had been able to buy them. So it's a wooden tiles made of, I think it's uh, made of birch. Uh, birch. Yes. They look definitely. like birch. Now, 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 I, now I can see the grain in them. Yes. Yeah. That makes, so it's natural. Something that makes sense. Mm. Yes, they're very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like them a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for mistaking it for a bathroom. I, I, I get it now. <laughs> I get it now. Um, and so, Runa, tell us where we can find your stuff and and read your books. And have you got a website? Yes, please join me on X, formerly known as Twitter. You find me if you put my handle in the show notes. They can find me there. Um, just follow me. Um, if you want to uh, get to know more about my books, my our projects, you find it uh, on uh, Undoku. That's U N D O Q O. Undoku. It's it means the core, the essence, in an African language. Oh, okay. So right. go yeah, to Undoku.com. 
there you find uh, more about the books. And I uh, you, will... you can order, order the books on Amazon, of course. Okay, I will put the details below. Um, thank you, Runa, very much for a fascinating podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I, I, I really appreciate the support. I've, I'm going to um, introduce a slightly a slight change to my business model. You know, I'm now going to delay my, my podcasts um, for, for non-paying um, viewers. And, I, and I, I love you all. I mean, you know, you're welcome to watch for free, as you know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it a week now before I release my podcast so that the people who generously subscribe to me and support me and i really appreciate your support and i need your support it's my only source of income uh can get you know get ahead of the game it's unfair to to for, for people who pay not to get some kind of benefit so i hope you're all up for that and i hope that might encourage you those who haven't found time to uh, go through the rigmarole of supporting me on on locals on Subscribestar, on patreon um or substack um, to to do so, I, 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 these are difficult times, and it's, it's getting harder. And I'm not very good at the American style, you know. Help me, um, you know. Um, and it's not about whether you think I'm a nice guy or not. I mean, I mean, I'm an evil bastard, probably in some ways. Um, but <laughs> you, you, basically, you're supporting me because you like the stuff I do, and you want to support me and help me continue doing it, not because I help drowning kittens out of bags or whatever. Although I probably would help a drowning kitten out of a bag if I if I were if 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 a glug glug glug, I would dive into that river and rescue the kitten. So I'm not that bad, but yeah, please help me. Um, please support me. I really appreciate it. Or if you can't do that, buy me a coffee. I like it when you buy me coffees, and I like your messages. Um, even though I don't, I, the reason I don't reply to them, by the way, is because I haven't worked out how to do the uh, the reply thing. Otherwise, I would be there replying to you all the time. Uh, does that make sense, Runa? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent. Good. Well, it's been it, it's been great, and I, I I very much hope that if if I ever come to Norway again, I will be able to come to the Frostatting and uh, or, or come and see you and um, have a have a pint of beer, which uh, sorry, a liter of beer, which will cost me about three hundred pounds, as I understand. <laughs> I would assume. Yes. <laughs> great. Yeah, looking forward to meet you in person. This has been a great uh, talk with you, James. Um, excellent questions, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So, good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks right. for inviting me. Mm. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, and good luck with your with your mission. It's a, it's a worthwhile one. Thanks. Thanks. Same Bye. to you.